It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner, and we've got uh, some really interesting conversations to share with you today. Uh, in fact, uh, coming up during the third half of, <clears throat> excuse me, of our uh, three-hour tour... I'm, g- I'm going to spend uh, a little time on the couch um, with uh, therapist and author Stephanie Grace. Um, a fun conversation. She has a new book. It's called uh, Creating Real Happiness, A to Z, A Mindful Guide to, Re- uh, a mindful guide to Discovering, Loving, and Accepting Your True Self. Again, that's Stephanie Grace coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour. And uh, before that, in the uh, second hour of our three-hour tour, um, we're going to talk once again with uh, Danielle Clayton. Now, she was here to talk uh, very recently to talk about her book, uh, Shattered Midnight. And I think we talked about The Rumor Game as well, which is also a Netflix original series. Um... But she has a brand new book. It's a debut, uh, her first fantasy novel for middle grades. And though it's not part of the Rick Riordan brand, he said The Marvelous deserves the highest compliment one can give a book. I want to live in this world. That's from Rick Riordan. The author is Danielle Clayton, and uh, the book is called The Marvelous, and she'll be... uh, joining me during the uh, 10 o'clock hour of our three-hour tour. And we're going to start out the show coming up in just a couple of minutes with um, Linda Gratton. And she has a new book called uh, Redesigning Work, How to Transform Your Organization and Make Hybrid Work for Everyone from MIT Press. And... Uh, as I mentioned, she'll be joining me in just a couple of minutes. And then overlapping um, between Linda Gratton and uh, Danielle uh, Clayton, which is uh, coming up a little later in the show, we're going to squeeze in uh, a conversation I had last week with Jake Kratchik, who uh, has written a, a very interesting book called The Waiting Room. So um, we got back to back to back back to back to back to back today uh, on the Tom Sumner program. Coming up tomorrow, it's uh, 
Wednesday, first Wednesday of the month, which means we're going to kick off the show tomorrow with economist Chris Douglas from the University of Michigan Flint. And that will be followed up by uh, our weekly roundtable, Armchair Politics. And we'll have our uh, roundtable regulars, as we do each and every Wednesday, Flint's premier political pundit Paul Rosicki on the left, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter on the right, and they'll be joined by uh, consulting editor for uh, East Village Magazine, Jan Worth Nelson. Jan will be back with us uh, for this week's edition of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program, which also happens to fall on Star Wars Day, tomorrow being May the 4th. So join us for um, Chris Douglas and a talk about the economy and uh, stay with us for Armchair Politics. That's coming up tomorrow on the Tom Sumner Program. And um, may the 4th be with you and uh, you with us. Anyway, um, Linda Gratton is up next. Lots of uh, interesting stuff, so don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We got... uh, Lots of good stuff on today's edition of the Tom Sumner program. So sit back and enjoy. And welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner program. My guest this hour is the uh, author of a book called Redesigning Work How to Transform Your Organization and Make Hybrid Work for everyone uh, which is uh, being released May 3rd and um, it's written by a professor of management practice at London Business School and one of the world's foremost experts on the future of work Linda Granton who joins me by phone Linda good morning and welcome to the show good morning Tom and thank you so much for having me on the show how much of a rework does work need? Well, I think it needs a total rework, Tom. I mean, we really haven't changed the way we work since the Industrial Revolution, since we started working in factories. And uh, the pandemic uh, has given us an enormous opportunity to redesign work. And it would be such a missed opportunity, Tom, if we just go back to working how we used to. What we've learned during the pandemic, as many of us work from home or work from the local coffee shop, is that actually we could be just as productive in a much more flexible way. So what I'm trying to do in redesigning work is to give the powerful questions that will help you uh, and your listeners to think about how could I redesign work, whether you're an employee or a team leader or a an executive running a company, how could I redesign work to make sure it's engaging, purposeful, and I think most importantly, to help me be as productive as I possibly can be. What is work going to look like going forward? You know, all through the pandemic, we kept hearing about uh, remote work and Zoom meetings and all of the things that people were trying to do to uh, you know, continue to function during the various quarantines and lockdowns. And we kept hearing about a new normal when the pandemic uh, subsided. And though we're not quite there yet, what is the new normal going to look like? Well, I think, 
Tom, that the new normal is going to look different depending on, you know, where you work and, and, and how you work. So, for example, if you're a delivery worker, you're not suddenly going to be able to work from home. So the new normal for you might be much more flexibility around time. Um, but if you are, like 50% of us, uh, able to work from home, I think the new, new normal will be hybrid, which is that you will work uh, from home some of the time or maybe a place near your home and you'll go into the office some of the time. But that requires a, a number of things, Tom. One is we have to really look at, you know, how do we maximize productivity around our work? You know, how do we use those new tools that we've, de- that we've developed during the pandemic to really help us to be as productive as possible? But it also means thinking, asking some powerful questions about our office. You know, what, what is the office for? What, why would we be there? I spoke to someone in Manhattan last week in one of the investment banks, and she was saying, you know, Linda, I've just traveled one and a half hours to get to my office, and it's going to take me one and a half hours to get back from home, and all I've been doing all day is sitting on Zoom meetings. I could have done that at home. And I think that's the sort of question that we're asking now. So what I'm predicting right now, Tom, is a lot of experimentation. You know, I I look at companies all around the world, and there's no doubt that there's some incredible experiments taking place where companies are saying, let's just be a bit more imaginative about how we work. And so I think we're going to see a lot of differences between companies as each of them goes on their own journey. And that, I think, is great for employees because it gives us more choice about how we work and where we work. You know, I'm not a, a big fan of the of the Zoom meeting and and that kind of uh technology i i'm okay with technology i just i don't know what it is about the zoom meeting i i would rather go into the office and have a meeting or go to a client and have a meeting as we get into this uh this new normal but the yeah, working... yeah I, I can yeah and i think there are going to be individual differences tom so if you're somebody who you know, wants to be in the office, wants to be face-to-face, and that's what's going to help you to be productive, then, you know, that sounds perfectly reasonable to me, but lots of people don't have the same feelings that you have. You know, lots of people embraced working from home, they embraced the technology, and they became pretty productive at home. In fact, in some companies, productivity went up, primarily because people weren't doing that, you know, one-and-a-half-hour commute. I mean, you might be like me, Tom. I I live... I have a, a nice office at home, but I, I, I work at London Business School. Maybe it's a 20-minute walk. Um, but lots of people have long commutes to get to their office. And when they get there, it's a very crowded place. So I think what we have to do, Tom, is certainly to look at what individuals like you want and what I want. But we also have to look at the jobs themselves. You know, is the job a job that's really about focus, in which case people need undisturbed time? It doesn't really matter where it is. Is it more about coordination where they're sitting with their teams and, and working that too? Where Zoom, by the way, is absolutely brilliant on that. Or is it cooperation where actually face-to-face really makes a difference? So I think what we're moving towards is a much deeper set of powerful questions that asks what's going to be best for you, best for the job that you do, and indeed best for the organization that you work for. Now, you know, of course, I, I do a radio show, and... As uh, this is such a, a strange uh, 
turn of events. Back in January of 2020, I closed the studio I was using and moved all my gear home and set up a studio at home, thinking I was yes. going to be unique and, and unusual, or maybe not unique, but at least not the norm. And, of course, you know, a few weeks later, everybody went home and started working yeah. from home. Yeah. And I love working from home. There are things I miss. I miss having a studio big enough to bring people in and have roundtable discussions, to have live music and some of those things. You know, I'm not crazy about doing everything by phone. It was the Zoom that, as as brilliant as as it was, um, it was not appealing to me because I'm an audio guy. Yeah, well, I think that, you see, the interesting thing is, Tom, I think we've all got to acknowledge and understand where we are our most productive. And so, you know, you're sort of saying, me, I, Tom, am most productive in an audio environment on the telephone, or better still, occasionally in a, in a, in a studio with live music and so on. Um, but for lots of people, you know, for example, I, I wrote an article that came out in Harvard Business Review this March with Diana Gerson, who has just stepped down from IBM. And it's a great article. It's about why managers are so important at the moment. Now, Tom, Diana and I have never met each other. We did all of that work on email and on, on Microsoft email and on Zoom. So um, it worked really well for us because she lives in California. I live in London. And you know, we wanted to see each other. You know, we didn't just want to speak on the telephone. We wanted to speak, see each other. We wanted to show documents and so on. So I think, you know, people are different, Tom. And, and what, what, I, what I would always say now to a leader of a company is don't let your own preferences dominate what you think the rest of your company, you know, needs. So, for example, some of the CEOs of investment banks are saying, I want everybody back in the office because actually they want to be back in the office all the time. But not everybody in their company does want to be back in the office all the time. So you have to listen to what your employees want, but also ask what's, what's done most, you know, what are the jobs that are done most productively? So, for example, one of the comp- companies I talk about in redesigning work is one of the Canadian investment uh, uh, agencies, CPP, and they've said, you know, during lockdown, because their people came from all over the world, some of them were trapped, in a way, in, in the countries that they'd, they'd been, you know, they'd gone to. You know, perhaps over Christmas, they'd gone to see their parents in Portugal and then couldn't get back. And so they had to then start working out of Portugal. And guess what? They found that they were pretty productive. So they're now saying, you know, if you want, you can work anywhere in the world. I mean, there are some you know, issues around tax and, and so on. But, but in, in, it, strategically, you can work anywhere you want for three months a year. Um, and that's a massive draw for people. You know, if you're Portuguese, the idea that you could come and, you know, live near your parents, you know, in Lisbon for three months a year and work really well is an enormous draw. And, you know, in an industry where they're chasing talent at the moment, it's really important that you also acknowledge what your most talented people want. So I think what we're moving into, Tom, is a, is a much more thoughtful, um, you know, design process with these powerful questions rather than just simply saying, what does the CEO want? What do they most want? And make sure, and let's, you know, make sure that everybody does whatever they want to do. 
More with London Business School professor and author Linda Granton straight ahead. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-Double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Babies come with lots of decisions. Cloth or disposable? Crib or bassinet? 
So when it comes to protection, go with the safest, most effective choice, vaccination. Get all the recommended vaccines for your baby by age two to protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases. For more reasons to vaccinate, talk to your child's doctor. Go to cdc.gov vaccines or call 800-CDC-INFO. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with London Business School professor and author Linda Granton straight ahead. Well, I, I wanted to make sure and, and squeeze in that I'm not anti-technology when I made that comment about Zoom. Yeah, I, no, of I, course, Tom. I, I, I appreciate that. I think I, Zoom I, is a way, brilliant solution yes, for a lot of people. It just doesn't work for you. Yeah. And, and I, I think that's fine. You know, and that's why... You know, if you we, we've been doing research at the moment where we've said to people, you know, well, what what would you most want? And most people don't want to be in the office all the time, but most people, Tom, don't want to be at home all the time either. What right, they want right. is the capacity to work sometimes in the office and to work sometimes at home. Now, if you're a manager, that's very difficult to manage that. And so, what I've tried to do in the book, redesigning work, is to to help people think about well how would you manage that you know how and so for example team agreements become very important uh so a team agrees that okay we'll this is what we'll do on wednesday we'll all go into the office and this is what we'll do in the office we'll do this big important cooperative task um so it it needs a level of intentionality a level of design that we probably never really had before linda you said something a little earlier about uh about maybe being just as productive. And, and and I wanted to sort of echo that because I've read some things where some surveys and, and studies and things have been done that have found that this hybrid work is, is um, they're finding that, that many people are more productive. Yes. There's just, there's just one thing to say about those studies, Todd, before we all get, you know... Uh, they are more productive, um, and that's probably because they're working longer hours. So, so that's what we've sort of realized about them being more productive. Because, Tom, let's say you, you commute for one and a half hours a day into your... I know you probably don't, but let's imagine you did. You commuted for one and a half hours each day, so that's three hours a day. Then certainly what we've found is that people, as it were, give one of those hours back to work, and then they take the rest themselves, you know, to spend time with their kids or whatever. Sure. And so what, we've, what we know, and Microsoft have know this from their studies, because they look at when you switch on your computer, when you switch it off again. They look <laughs> at how millions of people do that. They've switched their computer on earlier in the morning, and they've switched it off later at night. So that's not really sustainable. And w- one of the most interesting things I think the Microsoft research team have found is that the number of meetings that we're having, particularly Zoom, you know, Microsoft Team or Zoom meetings, has doubled. So we're having far too many meetings. And so as we go forward, if we want to stay productive and not burn out, because I think people are now feeling pretty burned out about this, they've got to reduce the number of meetings that they have. And they've got to also work, you know, asynchronously, by which I mean not connected to other people, um, doing focused work. So I think, you know... Uh, the way that I think about this, Tom, is it, this is like a long, drawn-out series. I mean, we're on sort of series two, episode three, and there's a lot more episodes of this to come. You know, this isn't sure. companies are still 
still uh, unsure about what to do. I don't. I, I talk to I don't know hundreds of companies around the world, and none of them say, "Okay, this is it." Uh, I've now because the companies that say everyone's got to be back in the office, they're finding that some of their most talented people are leaving. So they're then having to say, "Oh, hang on, maybe we need to change that." So there's a lot of iteration and and learning going on at the moment. Well, I was really looking forward to talking to you, Linda, because I, I wanted to get your impression about the future of work as it has been expressed by some other people that I've talked to over the last couple of years. Um, and and also, I wanted to say that I see an awful lot of people trying to create a new normal by reviving the old normal. Um, well, yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a shame? Yeah. And, you know, Tom... And and I'm with you. I think yeah. this was a tremendous opportunity to to take a break and and just completely yeah. rethink how we approach work from a management standpoint, but also, you know, us worker bees. Yeah, I so agree, Tom. And and like you, I closed down. In fact, I closed down on March uh, 2020. That's when we closed down in in in, in London. And I then started as an, you know, because I'm an academic and also a, 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 a consultant. So I, I started looking at what was going on around the world. I wrote a, a Harvard Business Review article that became the cover article in HBR of March, of March 2021. And then I dashed really to write this book, Redesigning Work. It's, I've, it's my tenth book. I wrote it in seven months. <laughs> um, Penguin uh, in, in, in the UK and MIT Press in the U.S. published it as fast as they could. In fact, Penguin have never published a book so fast. And it's because we wanted it out now. We wanted it out this week or next week because we realized this is the time when people are going to start going back and thinking, oh, you know, let's forget about this great experiment. Let's go back to where we were. And I just don't want people to do that. And in fact, Tom, just for your audience, if you go to my website, www.lindagratton, and Linda is with a Y, by the way, not an I, Linda Gratton, you can download for free a blueprint that actually says, this is how you do it. Um, and there's videos and things. I, I'm absolutely passionate, Tom, that we don't go back to how we were. Yeah, I, I um, you know, when I mentioned that I closed out my studio and moved everything home, um, I ended up not feeling as put on as some people were who were forced into moving home, like like academics, like yourself, where you had to, you yeah. know, figure out some kind of way to teach by Zoom, and you know, oh, there, yeah. were, there yeah. were just these oh, these yeah. things that had to be done all of a sudden. I was walking down, you know, the hall to my office. <laughs> that was my commute, and yeah. uh, I. I I really enjoyed it, and I was doing what I was going to be doing anyway. Now, I hadn't planned yeah. on doing it quite as long as it's turned out, but but the point you is know, I didn't uh, feel put yeah. out. No, no. Well, well, it was very hard for us in academia. You're absolutely right. I mean, you know, we have one of – I work in one of the top business schools in the world, and London Business School, Harvard, Stanford, Wharton, we all had to go high. We all, first of all, had to treat, treat – you know, teach completely virtually. So I taught a whole year, 2020, we taught entirely virtually. It, all our MBA students were virtual. But what we've now discovered, Tom, is that hybrid teaching where you have Zoomers and Roomers, you have some people in, in the office on Zoom and you have some people, sorry, in, in, their, in their homes on Zoom and some people in the, in, the, in, the, in the room in front of you, in the lecture room, 
that's actually really difficult for faculty, but it gives a level of flexibility to students that they really like. And so, for example, I'm teaching an executive program when I get back to London um, later on in the year, and that will be hybrid. So I'll have half of the executives in the room, and half of them will come in on Zoom. And, and actually, that gives them quite a lot of flexibility. It makes it more difficult for me. But actually, you know, the learning experience for them is, is, is quite good. So I do think that we've learned some new tricks during the pandemic. And those tricks are going to continue, you know, to continue with us, really. And, and that's, you know, me teaching executives online, I'm really fine about that because every year I get three or four people who fly from Australia to London to come to my, to my program. Well, that's, you know, that's a long way to fly, and, and not everybody wants to do that. Um, and so they can come in and be part of it. Now, of course, there's a massive time difference, so it means that they're, they're up all night. But <laughs> nevertheless, I think we are giving ourselves more freedom and flexibility. And, and one of the touchstones, I think, of redesigning work is to give people more freedom to make choices about how they want to work. Well, one of the things that I've been trying to get reactions from from experts like yourself about was I, I had uh, Andrew Yang as a guest on the show when he first announced he was going to run for president, and he had written a book, and in that book and in debates, you know, through his short-lived campaign, he talked about UBI, or Universal Basic Income, and his yeah. rationale for talking about that, and other people have talked about it, it's just he's the first one I heard bring it up, is... His rationale was that technology, robotics, and, and artificial intelligence was going to replace people in huge swaths of the workforce. And his concern was there just wouldn't be enough jobs for people. So yeah. I'm curious. Well, he, he was always wrong about that. That's um, what I wanted to get into with yeah. you, Linda. Is yeah, I, I wanted to talk about that. Um, um, so, so I'm not a labor economist, Tom. I, I mean, I'm a psychologist, but labor economists and there's a fantastic team at MIT who are, and one at Stanford who have looked really carefully at the impact of technology on work, which is actually something that I've written about in, in almost all my books, including redesigning work. Actually, so here's here's the story of the impact of technology on work. There isn't any evidence at all that technology will lead to mass unemployment. It never has in the past. There's no, there's no reason to believe it will in the future. However, what it does do is it takes away some, of, some parts of somebody's job, um, usually the bit that a robot, you know, an artificial intelligence, a robot can do, and that means that the person has to upskill or reskill to, uh, to do other tasks. And so what you're seeing in the U.S. and, and across Europe and in Japan is companies, the good companies, spending, in some cases, billions of pounds upskilling and retraining people. So AT&T, for example, you know, your big telecoms, they have spent billions of pounds upskilling their employees so that when uh, technology took away part of their job, they said, that's fine. There's a whole bunch of other things we want to do more of. Let's train people to do that. So if, you know... What technology does is it, it upskills some people, but by the way, it also leads some people's job to be lower paid, and, and you are seeing this, so you are seeing certainly in the U.S. with delivery workers and so on, that 
that their pay their pay levels are low. Uh, technology has taken quite a lot of the job, and they're just doing the sort of really simple parts of it. So, you know, governments need, and, and they do very much in Europe, particularly countries like Sweden and Denmark, governments sort of step in there and help either to make sure you have a minimum wage or to make sure that there is funds available to upskill and retrain people. So it's a big issue about retraining. I know where he was coming from with universal income. Uh, and actually, we've written about this, not in this book, but in my fi- earlier book, um, The New Long Life, which I wrote with an economist. And we, we, we talked quite a lot about universal basic income. The jury is out on it, to be honest, Tom. Um, there are a whole bunch of trials taking place, one in, one in Finland. Uh, Singapore is also trialing it. Um, but, but certainly what it shows is that governments, when you have these huge technological changes as we're having now, governments do need to step in in some ways or another. In our view, the stepping in should be around minimum wage so that people who work at least get a minimum wage. Well, I think it's, uh, it's, it's fascinating. And we're seeing wages starting to go up a little bit as employers are having a harder time filling roles and positions while people are, you know, re-examining what work they're willing to do and for how much. Yes, I, I agree. And isn't it interesting, Tom, that at, at, at any, I, I kept um, a journal actually from the very beginning of, of this whole pandemic, and occasionally I, I think I'm on about journal 18 now. <laughs> um, but, but I mean, you know, if I look back, to be honest, Tom, I don't think anyone predicted what was coming next. And I, and I know that because I can see what people were saying. And I don't know anyone who predicted that there was going to be a great resignation. What we said is we'd have mass unemployment after the pandemic, and we didn't. We didn't have mass well, unemployment. But we, we had but we were assuming that businesses would fail from being closed yeah. for a long period of time, and yeah. so those jobs would just dry up, creating unemployment. But yeah. but we, you know, thanks to Zoom and some other, you know, technologies and and. Uh, online uh, platforms we were able to replace some of those businesses with entrepreneurial things yeah absolutely and i think you know we've always got to realize that humans are extraordinarily capable of adapting i mean you know who would have known Tom, that in a day you moved your studio home or in the harvard business review article i wrote about hybrid work the opening, the opening case was about Fujitsu, you know, and the reason I chose Fujitsu is it's a Japanese company. It's based in Tokyo. Tokyo has the most traditional, archaic working practices of any country, any city in the world, and yet they moved 60,000 people in three days. <laughs> uh, it was an astonishing, you know, if you'd said to them, if you'd I said, could you write a strategic paper about how you would encourage people to work from home? They and most large companies would say, it's going to take about three or four years for us to really get that happening. They did it in three days. And so I think, you know, because I kept this journal and I talked to people the whole time, people were really surprised that they could do this. And I think we've got to hold on to that spirit of innovation. In the book, I talk a lot about experimentation, Tom. And I, talk a l- I give a, a load of examples, I think maybe 30 or 40 examples of what companies are doing to innovate. And that's what we need to, we still need that spirit of innovation. Linda, um, you said something about uh, 
and and I I think I just lost my train of thought. It was this this one final point. Oh, about um, uh, upping one's skills. Um, yeah. And I, I guess what I'm getting at, and I was reminded a couple of governors ago here in Michigan, um, when uh, Jennifer Granholm was governor of Michigan. And the auto industry was going through these huge changes and, and layoffs, 8,000 at a time. And, you know, it was, it was just um, dismal. And she said, well, this is going to be okay because people can, you know, train and go into the, the new wave of medical jobs. And, yeah. I, you know, I started thinking to myself, I said, well, what about people who don't really have an aptitude for that? Or, you know, aren't, aren't really, you know, yeah, they can learn how to work some of the equipment. But if they're, you know, if they, if they don't have any passion for that, you know, I'm not sure that's the kind of health care I want to get. Yeah, yeah. And and well, so I, my, my question yeah. is, I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to leave you hanging there, Um Linda, my my question is: is how do people explore what's next for them? Uh, well, that, that's a great question. I do actually talk about that in Redesigning Work, but I've written two books, The Hundred Year Life, and <clears throat> which, by the way, sold over a million copies, uh, and um, and also The New Long Life. I talk a lot about that because I think you know, Tom, you've absolutely hit that the sort of real question, which is. How do we learn to change ourselves? How do we learn to upskill and reskill? And and we can and we must. You know, there just isn't any. You cannot. It, it, one of the points I make in the hundred year life is if you if if life expectancy continues to increase and it and it does for many people around the world, and you you're thinking you might live into your nineties or your hundreds, then you li- need to be working into your seventies and. You know, you cannot possibly work into your 70s without upskilling and reskilling. So it's going to be a fact of life for everybody. And it's really important that people find out what they love and what they do. Uh, You know, there's been a fantastic piece of research in the U.S. which looks at what they call escalator jobs, where it's a job that if you do it, the likelihood is that you'll learn new skills that allow you to get a better paid job. And those escalator jobs, Tom, often have a high component of social interaction. You know, they're jobs where you're, you're interacting people, you're learning your social skills, you're increasing your social skills. And once you do that, that opens up a whole bunch of other jobs that are higher paid jobs. These are escalator jobs. So one of the things I've been talking about is companies need, need to show people, look, if you do this job, this is an escalator job, this will... By doing this job, you're going to learn new skills that will help you to get a better paid job. And so really understanding the jobs that are going to help you get on the escalator, as it were, and also the jobs that you love as a person, that's a really important part of how all of us are going to prepare you know, for this extraordinary future of work. Well, my guest is uh, Linda Gratton. She is... Uh professor of management practice at London Business School and one of the world's foremost experts on the future of work. Her uh, new book is uh, Redesigning Work, How to Transform Your Organization and Make Hybrid Work for Everyone, which uh, is coming out officially on uh, May 3rd. Uh, Linda, I I can't believe how fast the time has gone. I've enjoyed talking with you so much. 
And I appreciate you spending this time with me and the listeners and sharing your expertise with us and in the book. Um, But I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. You mentioned your website earlier, and I wondered if you'd like to share that again. Yes, thank you, Tom. My website is www.lindagratton, L-Y-N-D-A, Linda Gratton, G-R-A-T-T-O-N.com. And in it, Tom, your listeners will find a a treasure trove of of pieces I've been writing. You know, I've been a a, a professor now for 30 years. More importantly, you can download the blueprint, which actually takes you through, you and your team, through all of this. Uh, You can buy the book, but also... And this is the first time I've done this, Tom. I actually did do the audio book myself. Oh, I good for you. The, yeah, I, I did. Like, I like so when authors like, do that. Yeah, well, it's a lot of work, Tom. But if you like listening to an English accent when you're on your run or taking the dog out or whatever you're doing, then just go to audiobooks and you can download the audio book and listen to me for six hours. <laughs> well, there you go. There you go, Tom. Perfect perfect for a drive to the airport and back. Yes, perfect, Tom. And thank you so much for having me. A great, great conversation. Thank you, Tom. All right. You take care. Thanks again. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Again, Linda Gratton from the London Business School, and we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. <laughs> And welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. Uh, my guest this hour is the author of a uh, new book called The Waiting Room. His name is Jack or Jake Frasick, um, a.k.a. Jake the Snake. And I may use that more because it's a little easier to say. But uh, yes. he joins me by phone. Jake, welcome to the show and good morning. Thank you, Tom. Tom, welcome. And yes, you take the snake. That's why I've used it because my last name is a tricky one for most people. And it's it, your last name is Fratchik. Yep, you got it. That's it right there. Okay. You're better than most people, to be honest. It's a tough one. <laughs> take the snake is fine, though. Take the snake works just fine. Well, tell me about the waiting room, Jake. Is is this a book about uh, all that time I spend at the doctor's office? <laughs> I mean, sort of. That's where the inspiration. Uh, kind of came from for the title. It's, it's my second book, and the way I write it's non-linear short stories, and they, you know, they're, they're dark comedy, they're sad, they're funny, but there's always an underlying theme that ties them all together. And in this one, um, it's about his son, me, uh, trying to reconnect with his father who's terminally ill, and so I would end up in the waiting room. And it, I found, you know, when you're in the waiting room, it's like the great equalizer doesn't really matter if you're rich, poor, black, white, young, old. You're all just there, and you're at the disposal of whatever the, <laughs> the doctors and the nurses say. Everybody's just, sitting waiting. there filling stuff yeah. out on a clipboard. <laughs> powerless. Yeah, you're very, you're very powerless in the waiting room. You just got to try to control your thoughts and anxieties. And so I spent enough time there when I was writing this, starting to write this book. And uh, so that's where the title came from. More with Jake Frechick is straight ahead. Old-fashioned radio for a new 
generation. Tom Sumner Program.com. Tom Sumner Program.com. The Tom Sumner Program.com. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon, they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work, and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, file a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it, you're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 15th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flynn Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMagno. Flint Community Schools. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Loan Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan. Flip Flip Technology. My Community College. It's pure Michigan. 
Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to tom at tomsumnerprogram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner program. More with Jake Frechik is straight ahead. I remember a friend of mine, um, I, I think he broke his wrist or something. But anyway, um, I ended up taking him to the emergency room. And we were sitting there in the emergency room and looking around the room. And there were all kinds of people with all different kinds of ailments. And he turns to me and said, I guess we're supposed to look sad now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the looks on the different. Depending on what you know, what's going on with you while you're there, you'll see all kinds of different looks. Or you might see someone gushing from a wound waiting to be treated, which is the most comforting. You know, that is a, a weird experience, but it's but it's also one that everyone shares. Yeah, it is, and that's that's kind of you know, excuse me, part of this book is my my story, my lifestyle is a little wild, as what some people say are crazy. So some of it might be unrelatable in a, in a shocking way, but the, the one part that's very relatable is everybody, well, most everybody has uh, parents, and at some point yeah, they're going to pass, you know, whether naturally or unnaturally in this case for me. So like you said, you know, it's something that we all might have to go through just being in the waiting room, and then we all might have to deal with a parent passing unnaturally, unexpectedly sometimes. So that was like the connecting factor between me and Hopefully, some of the readers. Now, is the book out now? Yeah, it is. It's available. Um, select bookstores, depending on what cities you're in. It's you know, it's on the Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and even Walmart, Kindle, some other websites. So, it's, yeah, it just came out last week. And the um, what kind of feedback have you been getting from it so far? Uh, so far, so good. My, my first book I wrote over five years and this one I wrote over just the last year and my writing really tightened up um, I was doing other kinds of writing aside from this in the meantime and you know I mean people read my first book and that got great reviews but this one I, is also from the gut from the heart I just think it's a little tighter my poetry and prose blends better with the storytelling which I'm you know I'm happy with and people are getting a good reception to it uh, so far. And, I mean, I just, you know, it's still fresh and new, but so far, everything I've heard is making me feel good about what I've done. Now, you said it's got these, these nonlinear components, but do you write them as, as, as part of a book, or do you write this stuff separately and then decide you're going to compile a collection and, and put a book out? Well, it's, it's, it's the first um, part that you mentioned I do intend to put all these together, not necessarily sure in what order. I mean, there's sometimes when I'm writing a piece or a chapter, I know this is going to be the first one. Or when I wrote the 
chapter that was going to be the last one in this book, I knew it was the last one. Um, I don't like, I just choose to go nonlinear because I don't know, I'm a fan of a lot of movies that have cutbacks and flashbacks and feel like it breaks it up and it also allows the reader the opportunity to say you don't have time to read a lot or you just want to pick it up and just read one chapter for, for fun, you can do that. But I, I intend to use them all. It's, it's like I'll map it out almost on a big bulletin board and uh, you know, have the different chapters all over the place and kind of compile it like the way musicians might with an album, you know, finding out where, where the structure is best. It it sounds a little bit chaotic. Are you uh, a pretty disciplined writer? I mean, do you sit down at a certain time and say, I'm going to get so much accomplished today? Um, I mean, I don't like to put tons of pressure on myself, but my writing just comes out. Uh, it's, like, it's like a broken water main. Sometimes I can't stop it. I don't write every day, but I write pretty often. Some days, you know, I might not write for a few, and then some days I write 10, 12 hours. And, um, so you know, you're, kind of, a, you're kind, of, kind of a binge writer, it sounds like, Jake. Yeah, and uh, my life has been kind of chaotic, so uh, my approach to some things is, but there's a method to my madness, and it comes out in the, in the work, um, and it works for me. You know, everyone has different styles, different approaches, and this one has just working, been working for me, and I think it helps also separate me from the pack a little bit. Now the book's called The Waiting Room. Is is that a theme for all of the elements that are in the book, or is that just one element that stood out? Um, it's it certainly connects to the main element, the main story, of you know me and my father and him getting sick and passing. Um, but a lot of the other stories in there, and uh, I felt like I was waiting to get through that story. Some of, you know, some of these things are funny stories and some are just uh, boring, or not boring, like I'm like, not enjoying something happening in the story, so I'm, you know, I'm analyzing it in a humorous way, or it's a crazy adventure I didn't plan on, and I just want to get through it and survive. So it's like I was always in a waiting room, whether it was the physical one in the hospital or the doctor's office, or, you know, trying to avoid a lone federale extorting me at gunpoint in Mexico, or, you know, jumping off a bridge in Portland or something like that, you know. Uh, I always felt like I was waiting to get through another adventure, another chapter of my life, another day. Do you consider yourself a full-time writer? Uh, that's what I'm doing now. I also, I used to host a radio show. I host a weekly podcast. So I do that as well. And, I mean, what's a full-time writer? Some people, you know, journalists, political or sports writers, you know, they have their weekly column. I write books and poetry and do a little freelance writing here and there. But and how, that's, how that's are the sales? Are, are you able to, to get by doing it, or do you have to do other things to, to make sure that there's uh, beer in the fridge? Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, the sales on my first book, granted, has been out longer. were very good. This one's new. But I do supplement it. You know, I'm a, like I said, I got this uh, pub, uh, podcast, rather. That does pretty good, and then I also um, I'm I'm a savvy businessman in some realms, so I make some wise investments that help supplement it because I can't churn out a book every three months. Uh, I'm not Stephen King, so that helps kind of keep me balanced, you know. Yeah, you know what Stephen King said once. He was asked if he wrote uh, on a schedule or to the muse, and he said always to the muse. But fortunately, the muse shows up every morning at nine o'clock. Yeah, I mean. And I, I respect a lot of writers. 
I really enjoyed Stephen King's book about writing, maybe more than any of his books. Not to say I don't like his books, but, you know, I really admire that. And there's times where I get up before the sun just so I can sit and, you know, maybe for only an hour, just get some thoughts out. But I'm always writing, even if I don't have a computer in front of me, I'm compulsive. I'll pull my phone out and put stuff down, pull out a moleskin and write stuff down, memorize a few sentences in my head if I have to until I can get somewhere to put it down. Um, and then there's times where I just like to shut off from everything for a few days, and that's all I'll do. I'll write for 12 hours, take a little break, eat some food, have some coffee, get right back to it. When you're when you're writing that way, um, how long does it take you to to generate a book? You said the first book you wrote took five years, and this one less than a year. Did the pandemic and and quarantines and lockdowns and all that did that contribute to your ability to stay focused and and get more writing done? Uh, it definitely did help a bit. But the, the thing that really was the, the motivating factor, the wind in my sails, the gas in my tank, was my father got sick. Me and him had a you know an interesting relationship. He had no one to take care of him. I dropped everything. I left my radio show. I went down to Mexico, and it was a pretty intense time. I, I don't know how to do I'm not a nurse. I'm not a, you know, I don't know how to do most of the stuff I was doing. And it was funny. It was twisted. It was angry. There was a lot of intense moments. And it was just giving me so much material. And, and to channel all these emotions and deal with it all, I was writing. The first book, I didn't plan on making a book. I was just writing over time. And then maybe a couple of years in this, this story, I was like, oh, I've got a book here. And this one just came like, like a, I don't know, like a premonition of sorts. Um, and the pandemic did help, but I was busy a lot of the time taking care of my father in the moments when he was maybe sleeping or whatever. That's when I would just start writing. And then after he passed is when I, I really you know, finished it, started editing and tying up all the loose ends. Now, I remember my sister and I... Uh going through a period of time at the end of my mother's life where and and I understood what you said earlier Jake about you know some things being kind of sad and kind of serious and then there are these lighter moments and and funny things that would happen and I really related to that when you said that because of what my sister and I went through and we found ourselves actually kind of laughing back and forth yeah. at some kind of inappropriate moments. Can you, yeah. without without any spoiler alerts, can you share a couple of uh, anecdotes where you can give an example of something that, you know, it was kind of a sad backdrop, but, but something funny happened? Uh... Yeah, I mean, uh, definitely... You know, speaking to your point, laughter has been like a survival tool for me, a coping mechanism. Um, my, my mother's side of the family is Irish, and Irish wakes are, you know, wake is a sad thing, but there's a lot of joyous storytelling and party and celebration. So I've been laughing at possibly the wrong or inappropriate moments my whole life, but it's been a survival attack. More with Jake Freychick is straight ahead. Radio for a new generation. 
generation Tom Sumner Program.com Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com You pilots get off of my lawn! We're trying to do a radio show down here! It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on! Go on, get out of here!